Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part three in our series, Good News People in a Bad News World, where we're looking at what it means to live out the gospel as a community of Christ followers. Today, we're going to talk about the tension that we will often find ourselves in as Christ followers um, in this ministry of reconciliation between Two opposing parties, and we're going to be looking at, uh, for an example, the book of Philemon, a letter that Paul wrote to a dear friend of his in Colossae. So, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Today we're going to continue our series called Good News People in a Bad News World. And what we're looking at is what does it mean to live out the gospel as a community? Um, As I said week after week, what we often call the good news, the gospel in our culture, is really good advice on how you can get to heaven, how you can live a Christian life. But, But the good news, the announcement of the gospel that you actually find in the New Testament because you won't, find it, you won't find the gospel phrased as Jesus died on a cross so you can go to heaven. You won't actually find it like that in the New Testament. What you will find that is through the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection, God has become king. And so we announce that. And what's it mean to announce that Jesus is king? It means that for us that, that we have determined that we're going to live under his lordship right now. That we're going to live as, a, as an outpost of the kingdom right now. We are going to be an alternative society to the societies of this world. We are going to show the world that there is another king. And his name is Jesus. And so the last two weeks we've looked at different aspects of that. And basically, kind of one point I'm trying to make week after week is that once you really understand what the gospel is, you're going to find that the gospel is everywhere in the New Testament. It's all over the place. And so the last couple of weeks, we've actually looked at a passage from Hebrews 12 and then Philippians 2 last week where the gospel is proclaimed. And then in light of the gospel, how do we live? We throw aside the weights and the sins that so easily get on us. How? By looking to Jesus. We walk in unity with one another, preferring one another. How do we do that? By considering Jesus and the gospel. And so today, we're going to look at another presentation of the gospel that comes um, from the book of Philemon. Um, I will actually cover the whole book of Philemon today. The whole book. All of it. Lock the doors. Now... It's, it's, it, the book of Philemon is the shortest book in the Bible. It's only 25 verses, so um, even I don't have much to work with here this morning. But I recently heard a, a Bible scholar who was talking on Philemon, and he said, if Philemon was the only book of the epistles that you had in the New Testament, it would be enough to show what the gospel is. 
Now, the gospel isn't uh, communicated as directly in some other parts, but we see the implications of what it means uh, to walk in the gospel. So, I want to start, I guess I'm just going to start by jumping into Philemon. I, I think I gave away my, can somebody hand me a, thank you, you know where I'm at. Not like this really helps, there's like nothing on this outline, but... <clears throat> It will keep me on the right place. So I'm going to, to kind of read uh, this story to you a little bit. I, I guess I'll tell you the story before I read it. Um, Paul is in prison, and it's the place where he, he wrote several of the letters to the church. So he wrote the book of Philippians, the epistle to the Philippians. It's, epistle just means a letter to a church. So he wrote the letter to the Philippians, the letters to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesian church, and then he writes Philemon. Now, Philemon uh, is, or, or Philemon, or however, well, I'll call him Philemon. Um, but Philemon was this guy who was, uh, could have been even a bishop in the church in Colossae. The church actually met in his home, so he was well off. And uh, he was part of the Colossian church. So you, you can kind of read Philemon alongside of Colossians and kind of get a little bit more of the context as well. Um, but here's the deal. Paul, in his church planning ministry, has bumped into this, this slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus is, the, the, the difficult thing that makes it a little dicey is he's a runaway slave. He ran away from Philemon. Now, when we think of slavery, it's, it's an obsolete institution in our world today. But at that time in the world, uh, it was just pervasive everywhere. I mean, nobody even questioned slavery because it's just the way the world works. So Paul introduces Philemon to Jesus, and Philemon becomes, I mean, sorry, Onesimus. Uh, Paul introduces Onesimus to, to, to the Lord and begins to disciple him. And after a while, when Paul ends up in prison, Onesimus is, is, is caring for him and, and becomes really, doing a little Mick Jagger up here. Um, <laughs> you can tell by the way that Paul writes about Onesimus that he's become a dear brother in the world. Now, here's the issue. Paul is faced with this difficult situation now because he's friends both with Philemon who was one of the heads of the Colossian church, and this slave that has escaped from, Onesim, um, from Philemon's house, Onesimus. What is he to do? Now, here's the problem. A lot of times when we come to the Bible, we treat it as a rule book. Have you ever heard of the Bible referred to as a rule book or a, an owner's manual? <laughs> it's the owner's manual for life. You, you got a problem, check engine lights coming on, check the owner's manual. Uh, I've even heard of the Bible referred to as basic instruction before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. Um, <laughs> Dina actually gave me a book when we were first married. Uh, you may own this book as well. Um, it's really a horrible book. It's called Where to Find It in the Bible. Um, and basically, you can find anything. You can find a verse for, for how to change your oil, uh, what kind of food to eat? I mean, you can find a verse for anything. And unfortunately, that's kind of the mentality that we have so often when it comes to the Bible is, hey, let's just go find a verse that's applicable to the situation. But 
there are many situations in life that become problematic looking that way. I've been reading a fascinating book on slavery in America back in the 1800s and the theological crisis that the church was thrown into over the issue of slavery. It might, you might find it interesting that those on the side of, of, of slavery, the institution, had a lot more passages that they could use from the Bible to back up their position. In fact, it's hard to find any passage in the whole Bible that says slavery is wrong. And so for like three decades in the 1800s, there was this tremendous debate between Christians because it wasn't just about slavery. It was also about the nature of Scripture. Is Scripture infallible? Is it inerrant? Or is there something else that may be going on? Now, when I look back on the institution of slavery, and I think everyone in here would agree, um, hey, it's a great thing it's over with. I've never met a Christian. I'm sure there probably are some uh, that exist that would still see slavery as, as a, 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 an okay thing, but I have never met a Christian in my life that's like, hey, we need to go back to slavery. We all have come to a point where we realize morally that was a bad time in the history of the world. And so when I look back on the 1800s, I see the abolition of slavery as the moving of God's spirit in our world. I actually see it as an outgrowth of the gospel. Because when I look at this letter to Philemon, I see the beginning seeds of the downfall of the institution of slavery. Now it took (laughs) some 1,900 years from the time this letter was written for that to be a reality in America. But do you realize that today there is no slavery in the world? And I, oh, I mean institutionally at least. And I would credit that to the gospel. I'd credit that to the gospel. Because here's the deal. Philemon doesn't make an anti-slavery position. It makes a pro-Jesus position. But if you're going to follow the pro-Jesus position, it's going to lead you to an anti-slavery position. Does that make sense? And this was the difficulty back in the 1800s because they were arguing over slavery. And, and those who were for slavery, they had all kinds of passages for the Old Testament saying, uh, you know, slavery's okay. Uh, just don't take a Jew, <laughs> one of your own people to be a slave. Um, and they had rules in the New Testament for slaves. But what we see in the writings of Paul is that if you actually follow Jesus, if you actually take Jesus seriously, it's going to lead you on a trajectory where you can't see that as a legitimate option. So I'm going to talk about this passage today, and then we're going to look at maybe some situations in our world today where we can take, the thing, uh, take, take some of these things the way Paul did. Because thankfully... Those in the 1800s who were abolitionists, even though their arguments had to be a lot more nuanced, <laughs> thankfully they won out. And the truth is, some of our most beloved <laughs> evangelical revival preachers from the 1800s actually were pro-slavery because of their view of the Bible. But in, in this passage from Philemon, we see not just verses to back up our position, but we see a way of thinking as gospel people that challenges the very structures of authority in our world, challenges the very institutions. So Paul, in verse 1 of Philemon, says, Paul, 
a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, here's the deal. Paul is is going to have to persuade Philemon to do something that is really against his cultural inclinations here. And Paul is pouring it on pretty thick here. He's saying, man, you're, the way you love, the way you take this thing seriously, man, it's so good. Philemon, I just love you. You're, you're, you're just a testimony to me here in prison. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I love this. Paul says, I could order you to do this and just get in line and submit to Jesus. But that really wouldn't be submission, would it? You ever heard of legislating morality? It doesn't work terribly well. You can force people to do the right thing, and they may do the right thing because they're forced to. But it's not quite the same thing as when they willingly want to out of their own heart, right? You've seen that with your children before, anybody? Like, you can force your kids to do the right thing, and sometimes you've got to when you're in public. But it's much... <laughs> when your kids actually give generously when nobody's asking them, when they actually... Do the dishes when they weren't asked? That's like, that's awesome. And you'd rather have that, right? Right? Amen. Mother's, Mother's Day. Yes. Glory to God. Paul says, I would prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love than ordering you to do this. So he said, it is none other than Paul, an old man, and so now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's probably trying to get him to feel sorry for him a little bit. I'm old and I'm in prison, Philemon, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. By the way, Onesimus in Greek means useful. This guy has run away. He's become useless. So Paul is using a play on words in Greek here. Um, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. You hear Paul's language? I love this guy, man. He's my very heart. Don't crush my heart, Philemon. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. You hear Paul's heart here? (laughs) he's pouring it on pretty thick, but he's like, look, at the end of the day, it's your decision. I want you, I'm going to tell you how I feel, but it's up to you. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while so was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. 
He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self, by the way. (laughs) I, after all, introduced you to Jesus, so... I wasn't going to bring that up. (laughs) This is one of the funniest letters Paul wrote. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. I won't read the remaining three verses. Um, But do you realize what kind of revolutionary, crazy thing is happening in this little letter? (laughs) This is a letter about the gospel. Because in that culture at that time, the history records show us that if you were a master that had slaves and one of your slaves ran away, You were justified to beat that person, even execute that person, even crucify that person. And Paul knows he's in a difficult situation because that's the law of the land. That's how everybody thinks. Nobody questions it. There were no abolitionists back in the first century going down with slavery. That just nobody even thought that you could have a world without slavery. And Paul is saying, in the kingdom of Jesus, it should be different. And you see what Paul is saying here? I love this. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. See, Paul writes about this in a few places. And to me, the, the writings of Paul actually undermine the institution of slavery more than anything. Paul, both in Colossians and Galatians, he says that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But Christ becomes the determining identifier. See, if you were a Jew in that time, um, you would look down on Gentiles. Be like, wow, they're they're unclean, they're disgusting. And Paul says, No, in Christ, God has broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile. Now, Jews have uh, Gentiles have been engrafted in to be a part of Jews. So, hey, we're all Jews this morning. Glory to God. We all come into the covenant together. In that culture, if you were a woman. You were basically a second-class citizen. As a woman, you didn't get the right to like, hey, I'm going to go to school and, and, and have a career. Or, I mean, you didn't have that choice. The choice was made up for you. And nothing against you know, being a homemaker, but at least now you got the choice. And Paul says, no, in Christ, the identifiers between male and female doesn't matter. The one thing that matters is Jesus. You're both on the same page. You're both equal before God. There's none of this... One's better than the other. No, you're both loved. You're both equal. 
but probably the most challenging thing to that day, and this was one of the most challenging testimonies of the early church, if you would show up at an early church meeting in a place like Colossae, guess what? You'd walk in and you'd see men and women there. You'd see Jews and Gentiles who never ate together. I mean, Jews, they couldn't eat with Gentiles. You'd get tarnished. But they'd also see slaves eating with masters. Everyone was equal. The things that divided people out in that world were made secondary, were done away with in Jesus. Now, this does, it's, it's, I, and I know it, 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 it's hard for us to put our minds around it because we don't live in a world where we have the institution of slavery. But imagine the things that separate us in our world today, whether they're political ideologies, whether it's racial tensions, whether it's economic things, the things that we separate over, that we argue over on Facebook. (laughs) What does it mean to put these things secondary and to value each other in Christ? I love what Paul says here. He says, (laughs) he says, um, I will pay back, uh, If he has done you wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me for your very self. I love what Paul is saying here. (laughs) Paul is going so far as to say, well, I'm just kicking stuff over everywhere. That was a good save there, though. Y'all ought to applaud me. Sorry, Dina. (laughs) I almost killed your flowers. <laughs> Paul is saying that this, this, this slave, Onesimus, if he has stolen anything, and he probably did, he probably took a little cash for the road, and Paul is saying if he's taken anything from you or done you wrong, you put it on my tab. You put it on my tab. Does that not sound like Jesus? See, Paul is not just... Um, not just intervening in this, he is modeling the way of Jesus to these two people that he loves. Here's the deal. Paul knows that he's going to have to send Onesimus back because it's the right thing to do in that culture at that time. And he knows that Philemon under that that culture has the right to, to do horrible things to him. But at the end of the day, Paul is standing between both of them in the ministry of reconciliation saying, Consider Jesus. Consider Onesimus not as, a, as an object. Don't consider him as somebody there to fulfill your needs. Consider him now as a brother. Because that's what he is in Christ. He's your family now. You can't treat family like that. See, this, this passage is really for us. Let's take the issue of slavery away. It's, a, it's an issue. Let's, let's bring it up to more modern times. It's really an issue about living the ministry of reconciliation. See, we're tempted every day living in America. We're tempted to take sides and, 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 and get on this, this group and point our finger at that group. But really, if you truly follow Jesus, you're going to find your yourself kind of stretched and in tension, aren't you? 
You're going to find that, that you're standing between two groups of people who don't like each other. who <laughs> are pointing their finger at each other. And you're going to step in the middle of them as a reconciler to show that this is the way of King Jesus. And Paul models this for us in a beautiful way in this passage. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, On the cross, Jesus hung with arms outstretched between heaven and earth, making a bridge upwards and downwards between God and the human race and from side to side between all the warring factions of earth. And Paul has grasped the truth that so many of us, so many of us have missed. His achievements of reconciliation is put into effect when his people follow the same pattern. When people allow the cross to shape their own lives, the love of God is set free to change and heal in ways that we cannot at the moment even imagine. See, the way Jesus did it by going to the cross, guess what? I hate to break this to you. This stuff won't preach on TV much. (laughs) But that cross-shaped life is what God's called every one of us to. I'd like to resolve all the tension in your life with a few Bible verses that just say everything's going to be okay. God's going to bless you. You're going to just, you know, have whiter teeth, fresher breath, you know, just, just move on from glory to glory. But the reality is, if you follow Jesus, you're going to live in tension. And it's going to feel like you're being stretched apart sometimes. You're going to find yourself like Paul, between one guy who has the rights in society to treat another guy badly and another guy over here who who has come to know the Lord. You're going to find yourself between those warring factions and having to introduce them to Jesus in the midst of it while you try to love them both. That's the way of the cross. It's the way of reconciliation. So I want to read that verse one more time that we read in worship this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20. Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the ministry we've been given. The ministry of reconciliation. To stand in the midst of the tension of the world. And to not find ourselves drawn so much to one side or the other, but to stand in the middle and to say, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to one another because of God. This is what Paul, 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 this is what Paul models for us in this chapter. So I just want today as we're closing, I just want you to reflect on the areas in your own life 
where you are feeling stretched. Maybe it's people in your family who are at war with one another. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's friends of opposing political views. Maybe there are some situations where somebody has really wronged another person and you were caught in between. The question today is not how you can make your judgment on what is right or wrong. Anybody, any idiot can do that. The gift of fault finding is a cheap gift and we all have it. (laughs) I'm just kind of gifted at picking out faults. That's kind of why God has me at your church. I figured you needed more of that. No, we're cool. We're covered. <laughs> Where is God calling you not to make judgments on who's right or wrong, but to stand in the middle? And as Paul said, to make judgments that value relationship and not ideas. I'm sick and tired when I look around at the Christians of this world who are dividing day after day over ideas, doctrines, beliefs. There's only about five or six things that are in the Apostles' Creed, and I think we can all agree on those. What does it mean to value relationship above even our ideas about God, our ideas about right and wrong? When we begin to do that, we set up a place where the Holy Spirit can do amazing things through us and in us. I could go on, but it's Mother's Day. A lot of you got to take some moms out to lunch today, so why don't y'all stand up? I want to pray a blessing over you. Lord, I pray for, for the people gathered here this morning and those who will listen to this later. I pray your blessing upon us, Lord. Lord, that we can grow in the knowledge of being reconciled to you, God. We thank you that we are not separated from you, but that you have already reconciled us through Christ to you, God. Lord, I pray that we would live out that reality, God. And I pray that that in the situations where we are being called right now to stand in between um, groups of people and reconcile them both to you and to one another, to proclaim what it means to, to, to live out the good news, God, I pray that you would give us the grace to do that, God. Lord, I pray that that where we're holding tenaciously to our own ideas of right and wrong, our own wanting judgment, God, that we could open up our hands, that we could receive your grace. Lord, give us wisdom as we walk into this ministry of reconciliation. Give us the power of your spirit as we walk into this ministry of reconciliation, God. And we just pray, Lord, for our family, for our neighbors, for this community and and, uh, downtown Covington and on the North Shore. We pray that when they see us, that when they hear us, they would know that there is a God who is king, there is a God who loves them, and that he's in our midst, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.
Go have fun.